the twist of a yarn is so similar to the twist of a DNA strand. That is just mm-hmm. bonkers to me. Oh, yeah. um, and I, I never, I never would have learned that. Like, I never would have learned that in any other way, <laughs> aside from having this conversation with you after you nerded out about the physics of spinning yarn. It's amazing. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Knitting Nerdcast. This is your host, Hannah Baker, and today's conversation is with Scott Sika. He is a science outreach educator in Colorado, and we are talking about the physics of yarn and spinning. I found this topic to be super fascinating, and I learned a lot from Scott, so I hope you do too. Whenever I say I'm a teacher, the first question is always, what grade? And then I sort of like (laughs) roll my eyes because I teach all kinds of different grades. I teach summer camps. I do classroom presentations where I do a set like hour-long presentation in a classroom um, all over the front range, generally elementary and middle school. but then I also teach professional development workshops. So I teach teachers how to teach. So I'm a teacher teacher. Yeah. Um, let me jump in real quick and offer that at some point in all of this, mm-hmm. you met our beloved Andrea Lotz, who is I the did. Interweave social media manager and mm-hmm. who was also our guest host in the first episode. Um, and she nerded out about the knitwear and Outlander. Um, mm-hmm. You two are betrothed, if I we am <laughs> not incorrect. Yes, congratulations. We are, we are um, fianced. <laughs> <laughs> and she has taught you how to knit, correct? She has, yeah. She she tried to teach me to crochet, and I made about an eight inch long little snake. Um, <laughs> but that's that's all I've ever crocheted. Yeah. But I've I've knit. I'm on my second project now, and I've I've been a knitter for two years, um, nice. which is yeah quite the quite the rate of progress. But um, so this I, is kind of how we connected about like um, this this topic that we're going to talk about, um, Andrea kind of brought to me, like Scott is, you know, really into science and he could nerd out about the physics of yarn if you want. And I was like, yes, please. I want to know like what makes yarn go, what makes it work, what makes it work the way that it does, because I work with it all the time, Mm -hmm. but I don't, you know, I've never spun yarn. I don't really know the ins and outs of, of just the way that it works. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm just dying for you to tell me about how, um, about how feedback and resonance and friction <laughs> are involved. Um, yeah. yeah so can you just give me the rundown of like how this works? Yeah. So I did, I did a pretty deep dive into yarn. Um, I'm, I'm very much like a science nerd, but I did this, I did this deep dive into, into yarn and before going down the rabbit hole of twist physics and spinning, um, I have actually, (laughs) I've spun once and I made, let's see, I have it, I have it right here. I made one ounce of silk alpaca and wool, I made a a tiny skein. (gasps) of of yarn and it came out very um what's the word slubby or mm-hmm. uh optimistically like uneven yeah yeah optimistically sure. you could call it boucle or it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's art yarn yeah it's definitely it's definitely art yarn it's got some uh knobby little nodules in it um but it's it's a it's a long strand it's like 62 yards long and so i've <laughs> i've i've spun i've spun exactly once and um, when I started that, 
I was I realized very very quickly what a spinner is actually doing. So they're trying to work with ratios. They're trying to figure out the exact amount of tension to have the flyer and the bobbin go the exact right different speeds so that the wheel uptakes enough, but it also um, doesn't like rip the yarn from your hands. So there's a very like delicate ratio that they're that they're mm. dealing with there. But they're also dealing with the friction of the of the fiber in their hands and the resonance of their foot always keeping that uh, the wheel going a constant speed. And what do you can I interrupt really quickly? Yeah, absolutely. What do, you, what do you mean by resonance? So when you're using the treadle on a drive wheel, or when you're using the treadle on a spinning wheel, what you're doing is you're adding a little bit of energy every time the wheel is in a certain spot. So I like to okay. think about resonance like pushing a kid on a swing. Oh. Because if you push them, they'll go all the way out and then come back to you. And mm-hmm. if you push them right then when they're at the peak, you will add energy and then they'll go farther next time and then they'll come mm-hmm. back farther and then you add energy right at the peak when they're right next to you and then you keep going and you can add energy this way. But eventually, wow. the amount of energy you're adding every time you push them is just the same as the amount of energy they're losing from the friction in the chain and just the drag of the air moving around them. Whoa. So. When it comes to spinning, when they're moving the treadle back and forth, what you're doing is you're adding the exact right amount of energy right when the wheel comes over the top and you're pushing the treadle down when the footman is on one side and then you're letting it go up when it's on the other side. So you're adding that little bit of energy and it has to be the exact amount of energy that the wheel loses on its trip around from all the friction. Oh my God, that is so interesting. So it stays a constant rate. So they're like matching that energy and like, they're probably not even thinking about it. It's just totally second nature, but they're very carefully figuring out their resonance, which is super cool. Sweet. So yeah. And then like going into, going into it for the first time after sitting down at a spinning wheel, that's just one of the things that I realized that a spinner is doing in their head as they're going through and spinning Mm -hmm. the yarn. And it's, so much of what they're doing is just second nature. But if you start to like take the time to dig into exactly what they're doing, there's mm-hmm. a lot of cool physics that comes out of that. It's kind of like the physics of creating it maybe influenced the the way that they had to make the actual tools to accomplish what needed to be done mm-hmm. so that they can do it without really thinking about it or knowing that that's what's happening. Yeah. So the person who's making the the company or person that's designing and making the spinning wheels, they're very carefully figuring out what all these different mm-hmm. factors are. You know, you can attach the footman to the outside of the drive wheel, or you could attach it right next to the axle where it's driving around. And one of those is going to be better than the other one. And mm-hmm. somebody at one point had to figure that out. Or like, what type of wood they make the drive wheel out of. If you use a really dense wood, it's going to be this big, heavy thing that's going to be hard to get going. But then maybe Mm -hmm. it has a lot of momentum so that once it's up to speed, it spins really, uh, it spins at a really constant speed. Mm -hmm. But if you make it out of a really lightweight wood, then maybe you have more control and it's nimbler and you can change it on the fly much easier, but it's a little harder to keep constant so the people Hmm. who like 
really delved into that and figured all that out, figured that out so that the spinner sitting down at their spinning wheel can do all this. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the physics is already just figured out. So they just have to apply their craft and use it and everything works better. That is so cool. So then someone's spinning yarn and they're creating twists in different directions. Can you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that and like what all that means? Yeah. So I spent I spent like entirely too much time uh, (laughs) trying to figure out S twist and Z twist. And in physics, they have a different term for it. It's right and left handed. Um, But I think I finally like figured out how it actually works. So you have two different types of twists. You have S twisted yarn, which is most of the yarn out there is S twisted. And I'm just going through my fiance's yarn collection. And I just (laughs) looked at each of them and figured out, okay, S twist, pick up another one, S twist, pick up another one. And most of them were S twist, Mm -hmm. but I did find a Z twist in there, which is the other direction. So I was trying to figure out how to tell the difference here. And it goes by the middle of the letter. So if you imagine like a piece of yarn and it's got these beautiful twists in it, Mm -hmm. if it's an S twist and you draw an S sort of superimposed over that yarn, Mm-hmm. The center of the S sort of goes from like the top left mm-hmm. to the bottom right. That's the yes. center part of the letter. So if the if the ridge in the yarn goes in that direction, then it's mm-hmm. S twist. And the Z twist, the Z goes in the other direction. So it goes sort of from the top right down to the bottom left. And that's the direction the center of the Z letter goes. I grabbed a skein of yarn. Um mm-hmm just before this to look and see and it's definitely an s twist okay okay yeah so So i have i have my skein of yarn Mm -hmm. that i um that i picked up and mine is an s twist too which i think is most most yarns that you find out there are going to be s twisted but one of the things that andrea is knitting right now is using a z twist yarn so i was Mm -hmm. able to find an example of both and actually i'm going to pick up the yarn that i made here and that would be an S twist yarn. So if you could take a picture of that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, for us to add to the show notes so our readers can see your beautiful skein my of yarn. Beautiful, that would be my beautiful wonderful. skein. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's S twisted yarn. And it's a lovely like purpley mauve color. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> it is very, very bumpy. Um, so that was one of the things that when I was sitting there learning about um, about spinning, I was sitting down with a friend's mom who was teaching me how to spin. And that's something that I never would have thought of, but she just naturally turned the wheel in the direction, I think it was clockwise, to make mm. a, um, an S-twist yarn. Because she knows that's the most common. If I'm going to be knitting, then when you're knitting with an S-twist yarn, every time you... Um, could be getting this wrong, but every time you... Every time you make a stitch, you're putting a half a twist in the yarn. Not okay. 100% sure about that, but as you're knitting, you're adding twist to the yarn. And if you're using an S-twist yarn and you're mm-hmm. knitting in the Western method, then that will add twist to your yarn, which is helpful because it reduces pilling, it makes the yarn stronger, mm-hmm. and okay. um, as you're, as you're uh, knitting, the twist gets tighter and tighter, so you're less and less likely to split the yarn if you're knitting 
in the Western method with an S twist. But if and when you say Western method, um, you're talking about um, using your right hand to knit to hold the working yarn, or what do you mean exactly by Western? So this is where this is where like I learned about Western <laughs> the Western method like yeah. last week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely not the person to to be like the final authority on this, but well, I think. I Sorry, think, go ahead. <laughs> I think you can knit in the Western method both left and right-handed. Yeah, I'm looking at your notes, and it says um, including that includes um, English or throwing, which mm-hmm. is like using your right hand, and then it also includes continental or picking, which would be with mm-hmm. your left hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got another note about an Eastern method. So I think mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go down a rabbit hole and look these up. Yeah, because um, I haven't <laughs> heard them referred to in that way. Um, but anyway, that's just kind of interesting. But continue. Yeah. So if you're if you're knitting and I'm not sure if I'm not sure if left and right handed, I I have a friend Mm -hmm. who knits left handed and I believe for her, she removes twist from the yarn as she's going. Mm -hmm. So if you're knitting left handed, um, you might be removing twist. So you might find a Z twist yarn that will Mm -hmm. add twist. Or if you're left handed, you might Mm -hmm. be a crocheter. Because crochet works the opposite way. So if you're crocheting with an S-twist yarn, you're removing the twist as you're crocheting. Oh, wow. And if you have a really loose yarn, um, Mm you might have actually noticed this as you're crocheting because it's untwisting enough that you could get the hook between the the plies. The strands, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe getting a Z-twist yarn, or if you know a spinner, having them spin you a Mm -hmm. Z-twist yarn um will help out with uh so you're adding twist as you go rather than removing twist Mm -hmm. yeah i've definitely i've noticed this when i cast on um because i usually use the long tail cast on method and you're holding two different strands of yarn in one hand when you're doing that Mm -hmm. and i've noticed that it it um removes twist from one of the strands um and i've always wondered if that like affects my cast on row stitches um but i feel like i'm definitely going to pay a lot more attention to this now um and probably check every yarn that passes through (laughs) my hands to see what kind of twist it has Mm -hmm. um yeah so it's really interesting so in going down the rabbit hole i started (laughs) i started with yarn and i looked at z twist and s twist and now i have this this vocabulary for like identifying twist and I just, I totally ignored the left-handed and right-handed that came from physics. Um, but I started applying this concept of twist to other things. So one of the first <laughs> things I looked at was the cables of bridges, like big suspension bridges. And I was oh. trying to find, like, what is the twist of the Golden Gate main cable? was wow. my first question. Um, and I looked at it, and there are fantastic pictures of the Golden Gate being made. And when you're looking cool. at it, every image of the Golden Gate main cable implies that there's just no twist to it. All the all the individual bits of metal, all the individual metal cables are all parallel to one another. But I huh. was able to find a picture taken from the roadbed and the cables on a suspension bridge that go from the big main cable that sort of has that like um, curved nature to it. The ones that go hmm. down vertically from that to the roadbed, those are Z-twisted. Wow. For what that's worth. <laughs> it's worth a lot, Scott. 
But then, so after I figured out bridges, it's like not that interesting because the cables are mostly just not twisted. Hmm. I started looking at DNA, which is my favorite <laughs> twisty thing. Um, not only because, <laughs> not only because it's how the instructions of life are written, and I'm a bio nerd. Yes. Um, but I also took a um, a class in college that was really difficult. But um, it was oh bio. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. Hannah from the future here. The class he was trying to remember was biochemistry. Anyway, um, so I took this class in, in, in college and I learned about the different types of DNA. So there's A strand DNA, B strand DNA, and this crazy thing called Z DNA. So hmm. if you like picture DNA in your head, it's got these two sort of like, it's, got, it's basically a ladder that somebody twisted up. Mm-hmm. And when you think of DNA, that's your normal DNA. A DNA is twisted the same direction, but it's sort of like open and weird looking. But then there's okay. this crazy stuff called Z DNA, and it's twisted the opposite direction. Huh. And something that frustrated me was Z DNA is S twisted, not <gasps> Z twisted. No way. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. They called it Z DNA because that's the direction of the. No, no. Well, Biologist. why do they call it Z DNA? I, maybe they found it last. I'm not sure. Oh, sure, it seems sure. Like they're like, okay, the oh, standard that's stuff. Oh, so interesting. Maybe they found a DNA first, and then they found a different, uh, different style of it, and they called that B DNA. And then I don't know uh-huh. where C through Y DNA went, yeah. but <laughs> Z DNA, which is um, maybe they're like, this is the last type of DNA they found. But um, oh, that is so interesting. Yeah, and it, it goes the opposite direction. It's the same stuff, but it's just uh-huh. structured differently. Um, and yeah, I was like, that's really really cool. But in thinking about this class, I remembered this is like a long draw from college, but. Um, I remembered my favorite ever uh, transcription protein. (laughs) And my favorite ever, (laughs) my favorite ever. So when DNA needs to be replicated, you have Mm. to untwist the DNA to get at the the bases, the letters inside of the the twisted molecule. So you have to physically untwist this thing. So if you pick up a strand of yarn, if you can find Mm. any yarn, like, it's it's going to be the same twist as DNA because it's going to be S twisted. Wait, no, no, I got that wrong. So standard DNA is Z twisted, right? Um, that like the standard B DNA is Z mm. twisted. So if you find some some Z twist yarn, you'll have the right thing. But if you sort of unwind it and pull the two strands apart, if you have two ply yarn and you mm-hmm. unwind it, you can sort of like access one of the strands, and that's what DNA is doing. Um, to get all the other proteins and junk in there to actually make a copy of itself. But when you do that, you're twisting, as you're untwisting one area, you're like extra twisting the areas on either side of it. So because doing that breaks the DNA, you have to have this protein called topoisomerase. And what it does is it sits at that little spot where you're opening the DNA and it cuts one of the strands it lets everything downstream like untwist and relax, and then it clips it back once the transcription is done. So it's called <laughs> it's called topoisomerase, um, wow. and it basically just um, 
un- it, it helps with uh, managing the twist of DNA as it's sort of opened up so you can get in there and, and make your copies. This actually sounds like witchcraft to me, <laughs> <laughs> but I believe you that it's science. Yeah. That's super interesting. Hold on a second, nerds. We're going to take a quick break. It, it's calling to mind like this this metaphor that I could create about mm-hmm. yarn being life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just the fact that the twist of a yarn is so similar to the twist of a DNA strand. That is just mm-hmm. bonkers to me. Oh, yeah. um, and I, I never, I never would have learned that. Like I never would have learned that in any other way, <laughs> aside from having this conversation with you after you nerded out about the physics of spinning yarn. It's amazing. Um, which kind of, it also kind of brings me to this idea that, um, you know, I've, I've been knitting for, uh, half my life, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, about 16 years. And I have, I, I, really like to learn how it works in terms of like the knitting itself and like why you do X, Y, or Z to get the best result that you can. But I've never, ever really dug in far enough um, to understand just like how yarn works and what twist is all about and why it's there and what it does and how it helps me in my knitting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I've just kind of taken it for granted that it's just there mm-hmm. when I need it and I can use it and I don't, you know, I haven't had to understand um, the way that it works in order to use it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and there's an infinite amount of, an infinite number of uh, examples that I could point to where I don't think about how it works, you know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Um, so being home a lot, I, I started to make um, sourdough bread. And so you can, you can go online and you can find like step-by-step put this, this amount of grams of that in here and then move it over here. And you can find these like step-by-step ways of making sourdough. And that's sort Mm -hmm. of interacting with it at like the first level where somebody else has done sort of the deep nerdy dive into sourdough and what's happening in there. And they've come up with this process and you can start at that level. And when I made the first loaf of sourdough, it worked fine, but it was sort of closed off and it, you know, it was, it was bread. It wasn't the best sourdough that I'd ever had, but after learning at that level, I sort of did a deeper dive into what's actually happening. So mm-hmm. I read a book about it and then just watched all of the videos on YouTube that I could find about it and a bunch of different articles until I was trying to figure out like when the lactobacillus is going to be is going to take over from the yeast or what conditions and like getting to that level mm-hmm. you sort of understand what you're doing at a deeper level and mm-hmm. even if you're not a, like a naturally curious person like I am mm-hmm. where learning something is an end unto itself but right. even if you're just really passionate about something learning mm-hmm. some of the science and physics and background of that thing you're really passionate about gives you another perspective or it gives you another lens and it deepens your connection to that passion and your appreciation absolutely yeah so i've been so i've been in a little bit of a knitting slump as of late because that's all right we all we all go through them (laughs) we've all been there we've all been there after my hat which was a nice little spiral and it was pretty easy for me to memorize the pattern 
I started doing a, um, a scarf. So now I have more factors to look after. I have to figure out what's the right side and what's the wrong side. Mm-hmm. And um, the pattern is a little, a little more complicated because you're doing different things within the same row. So mm-hmm. I started this project and at first it was just ribbing. So that's, that's nice and easy. You can sort of chug through that. But then mm-hmm. after I got through the ribbing at the end of this scarf, this basket weave pattern started, started taking place. And I did one round of this basket weave pattern, set down my knitting and left it mm-hmm. for like two or three months because yep. I just like, I just wasn't in the headspace to, to get mm-hmm. through it. And I was trying to figure it out and I had to really focus and concentrate because I didn't have the, um, I didn't have the pattern memorized, so I couldn't do it while watching something or listening to an audio book. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't sort of at that, at that stage where I could just roll through it. But now that I've gone through this and like learned how yarn is made and how mm-hmm. spinners introduce these different uh, factors into the yarn and what they're actually doing to maintain the gauge and make sure that the plies are twisted a different direction um, than the or the the yarn is twisted together in a different direction than the individual plies. So everything is balanced. Mm-hmm. Once I started learning about that, I started picking up my yarn again and I started picking up my knitting mm-hmm. because now as I'm going through, I'm looking at the yarn and sort of pulling it apart and trying to figure out, okay, which bits of this are cashmere, which bits of this are wool. Um, yeah. We have a Z twist or S twist yarn. And it just makes the process more interesting and engaging because I'm not listening to an audio book right now because my, um, is my focus is all on the all on the knitting project so it's yeah. definitely helped me sort of get back into back into my project just learning a little bit of extra information about how it's made for sure and i i feel like on that note there is a lot of value i mean i love sitting and knitting um while i'm listening to something or watching something um but i still have those moments where i'm like okay i have to get back into this project and i can't be multitasking while i'm doing it um, and I find that if there's something, cause I, that still happens to me. Like I'll set something down and I'm like, I mm-hmm. am not in the mood to start that again. But, mm-hmm. um, if I give it like five minutes, if I give it five minutes of my attention, mm-hmm. um, I can feel like the ease again of like getting into it, even if there is like a little bit of challenge or something and I have to wait to put on my Netflix show or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a side note that I yeah. relate to <laughs> for the, for those, for those first five minutes, when you're, when you're just focusing on your knitting, it can be, it can be like almost meditative. Mm-hmm. And when I was, when I was doing some of the, some of like the <laughs> diving down rabbit holes, uh, in, in learning about spinning apart from all the like fanciful names for things that spinners have mm-hmm. uh, small tangent, but I just love that there's things called lazy kates the mother of all footmen the nitty naughty <laughs> um i ran mm-hmm. into something called the hairiness index in researching this what's that <laughs> so what is that i was learning i was learning about knitting we'll get back to the main point here in a second but <laughs> the hairiness index um if you take one centimeter of yarn and measure all of the protruding fibers mm. in that centimeter um and divide the two, you get the hairiness index. Okay. And this thing surprised me because the, the hairiness index of, if you have a hairiness index of two, that's really, really fine, tightly spun, like really together yarn. 
mm-hmm. and I've seen hairiness indexes of 12, which seems bananas that there'd be 12 centimeters of sort of extra fluff on the outside of yarn mm. per single centimeter of yeah. finished yarn length. So it's like the hairiness index. Um, let's see, going, going back, going back. Um, fanciful names of things, maidens, lazy kates. <laughs> nitty naughty. I'm trying to, yeah, the nitty naughty. I love um, the nitty naughty. Which I never found like a cohesive, uh, uh, agreed upon spelling for. I've seen people that call mm. it like a nitty naughty with a K N O T, nitty naughty N O D. I saw N I D D Y. I saw K N I T T Y. Okay. So I think I've always seen it as N I D D Y N O D D Y. Yeah, I saw but that. I don't but know. I saw pretty much every <laughs> perturbation of, of nitty naughty. That's great. Um, let's see. Going back. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> um, the, you were talking about the sort of focusing in on your knitting for a couple of minutes in order to get in the mode where you can sort of start watching something and, and get uh-huh. into the get into the mode of knitting. But in looking at all these videos and uh, background research in spinning, I saw time and time again spinners talking about, well, you just start spinning and then all of a sudden, like three hours has gone by, seven hours mm-hmm. has gone by. And it mm-hmm. doesn't seem like anything. And I can't think of many hobbies that are that, I guess, like, you're you're sitting down and you're not, like, doing a marathon or, like, you're not moving that much. Mm-hmm. But to have something that is that engaging and, you know, to have something that's that engaging for that amount of time is really cool. Mm-hmm. And it kind of speaks to what they're actually doing during that time. Because you do have to have this sort of constant maintenance of all these different factors in order to produce the yarn that you eventually mm-hmm. want to knit or crochet or weave with. It le- it lends itself very well to flow state. Yeah, absolutely. Which I experience sometimes when I'm knitting. If I'm knitting something, actually, it can be mindless or it can be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, or I can be like working on a design and I'll you know, kind of end up in flow trying to figure mm-hmm. out something and doing the math and mm-hmm. um, all of that stuff. I need to learn how to spin. Sheesh. <laughs> the worst The worst thing is when you're in flow state and you're in flow state with knitting when you should be in flow state with something else. <laughs> <laughs> Distracting yourself with the flow mm-hmm. of knitting yeah. and you need to be in the flow of doing the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you should you should absolutely at least try spinning because figuring out how yarn is made, taking it one step lower, right? One step closer to the origin of the product product um, teaches you more about about knitting. So, you know, the one time the one time I spun, my thinking was, well, I need to go learn how to like shear a sheep so I know where this this ribbon came from. Absolutely. I I want to know how to dye wool. Yes. Right. And I, you know, I've talked to people who started out as, as knitters and then got into spinning and Mm -hmm. they say, you know, they tell me like, this is a whole other level of nerdery, um, that brings a new, brings a fresh appreciation to your Mm -hmm. knitting because you can, you can just appreciate so much more, um, the work that was put into creating that thing. It's kind of funny. Like I also think about, 
Um, I, I mean, I like to nerd out about um, stitch patterns on things that mm-hmm. I see. So if I go, I talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go to Target or Old Navy, um, they have great sweaters at those stores, beautiful sweaters. Um, and I'll see something that looks, that's knitted, you know, it's machine knit, obviously, mm-hmm. but it could pass for hand knitted. Mm-hmm. And I like want to figure out like the stitch patterns um, yeah. and how to, how to make that thing. And there are so many people that, and this is not like a criticism or anything. It's just like the majority of people don't knit. Mm-hmm. And so they will, you know, might see a sweater in a store and they're like, oh, that's a nice sweater or whatever. Mm-hmm. But my appreciation is at the level of like, oh, like I know how that sweater was put together, even yeah. though a machine did it. Absolutely. Um, so there's just like all these layers. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this is like inspiring me to look into the science of things that I don't think about on the day to day. Um. I just don't, Absolutely. I don't, I don't ever think about how things work. And we just, we just take for granted that all this stuff is just, you know, it just works because someone's figured it out and we don't have to worry about it. And that's wonderful. Um, so we can spend our time doing other things, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that appreciation level this, um, that comes to, comes into play when you just learn how something works. Yeah. <laughs> this learning about, learning about spinning and already sort of being able to knit i'm i'm a very Mm. novice knitter but i can do it um but learning about spinning has made me want to like go down the rabbit hole and get all the way to the origin it's made me want to Mm. like shear a sheep and then dye the wool and then spin the yarn and the whole thing yeah you talked about this extra step of of like figuring out the pattern and actually designing the pattern of the garment and then knitting something and if you have an object that you knit from a design that you made, from yarn that you spun, yep. uh, from wool that you dyed, from a sheep <laughs> that you sheared. It's <laughs> amazing. It would be a really, really cool object to have. And knitting and fiber arts is one of these hobbies that has a very short chain of, of skills to make something totally from scratch. I just mm-hmm. think that's really, really cool. I mean, if yeah. you wanted to make a pencil from scratch, you'd have to learn forest management. You'd have to learn chemistry wow. and paint bonding and rubber vulcanization and mining wow. and metallurgy. But to to make a knitted mm-hmm. object, that's something that with good teachers and some interesting skills, you can make something totally from scratch. And I think well, spinning then, is, is one of the cool steps in that process. Definitely. And if you think about if you're going to make your knitting needles from scratch that's a whole nother thing too <laughs> oh yeah you can you can take that you can take that concept as far as you can yes yes making your own I knitting needles would be cool that sounds like a fun project mm-hmm. well i know somebody makes um there's a company that makes knitting needles out of used pens i think okay um cool. recycled pens so yeah. you could you could you could figure something out with that mm-hmm. but um making them from scratch that would be also an interesting endeavor yeah wow Wowie. Well, with that, I feel like I have a whole slew of new information to go into the world with. I feel like you've opened my eyes. Yarn is life. Yeah. (laughs) Yarn is DNA. (laughs) Yarn is DNA. Yarn is is my DNA. Well, thank you so much, Scott. (laughs) You know, I gotta I gotta try to wrap it up with some beautiful metaphor that everybody can apply to life right yeah yarn is (laughs) yarn is life that's that's perfect (laughs) 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this massive research project <laughs> and um, to sit down and, and talk with me today. So absolutely. Uh, well, I hope you have a great rest of your day and yeah. it was great talking to you. You as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, you can follow the link in the description to our website where we'll have lots more information about this topic. If you like the show, please tell a friend, leave a review, spread the word. The Knitting Nerdcast is a production of Golden Peak Media and Interweave. It's hosted by me, Hannah Baker, and produced by Jared Mayer. Shout out to Andrea Lotz, Jen Ryan, and Laura Holslander for their contributions. This episode was recorded and edited by Evan Rutherford and Jared Mayer.